So I'll tell you something about Matt Russell. What I love about him is he's like, John, you really have a lot of Christmas Eve services on your plate. This is and awesome. I really want to help take something off I of said, you. Give me the 11. So why don't you give me the 11 p.m. service? That way you can get home early to your family. Yeah. A few days before Christmas Eve. Guess who tests positive for COVID? <laughs> Hi, I'm John Stevens. This is Matt Russell. This and this is Pod Have Mercy. What we are doing is uh, taking Wednesday nights to go through some stuff that um, kind of aligns with what we're going to be talking about in the month of January. And I think in the way that where we were brainstorming uh, our podcast, Pod Have Mercy, if you haven't seen it. That's why we're using this format, because we're able to expand a reach of what we do here. We've never done the podcast like in front of a live studio audience before, so that'll be interesting. But what this does is we found that we're able to take these resources and put them out in the, you know, blogosphere or whatever you call it, the internet, and that uh, even on reels on Instagram or things like that, there'll be thousands and thousands and thousands of people that will engage. And I'm not just using like preacher hyperbole. <laughs> that means five, right? Well, it could. <laughs> it, depends, it, it depends on how entertaining you are. But I mean, some of these little 30 or 60 yeah. second clips that come out of it could, that you could have 5,000 views in a matter of a week on that, that, that you're engaging people. So I thought what would be fun is for you to get a sense of uh, what we do on Tuesday afternoons in the podcast that goes out. And if you haven't um, familiarized yourself with Pod Have Mercy in the podcast, you get a chance to go watch it and check it out. We've interviewed guests. We've mm-hmm. done stuff on COVID and had Mark Boom. We've had yeah. sort of just all sorts the of theologians things. and practitioners and therapists and right. So they're really yeah. smart people. A yeah. lot smarter than than us. the two of us. Yeah. So, so for example, maybe. I mean that that's, that's really true. Me. And you know, speaking of COVID, I don't know if you heard, but there's uh, now the flu rona. <laughs> we now have flu rona. Have you heard about this, Jeff? Flu rona. So now you, you can get, you can have at the same time, it's two for one, you can have your Corona and your influenza <laughs> with a lime at the same time. It's Flurona. Yeah. This, this is what we call the Flurona right here. And, um, I, I, you know, I don't know what that means. I, I would rather knock them both out at one time. Honestly, that would be great. I, I had to go for a physical today and I got a flu shot. Wow. I did not get my booster yet. That's on the to-do list. Speaking of COVID. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, yeah. So I'll tell you something about Matt Russell. What I love about him is he's like, John, you really have a lot of Christmas Eve services on your plate. This is and awesome. I really want to help take something off said, of you. give me the 11. So why don't you give me the 11 p.m. service? That way you can get home early to your family. Yeah. A few days before Christmas Eve. Guess who tests positive for COVID? <laughs> Guess who has to do all the Christmas Eve services? So, thanks, Matt. Did I get any points? I got points for like a for day trying. and a half. <laughs> you got for then a lot of resentment. <laughs> you did get points for trying. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks is, um, you know, we we were in the restaurant the other day as we were we were planning uh, the podcast and topics and. There was a young man who was, well, our server is waiting on us. His name was Ezekiel. And he heard that we were talking about podcasting and we started talking about spirituality and just some things that were going on in his own life. And that, you know, not so much church or religion as he would define it, but more spirituality. And as we were talking about the things, I thought, man, this is what we've tried to do with the podcast and yeah. why um, you may not see it on, on, in the pews on Sunday morning, but the vast majority, I think it's like 60% of the people that are intersecting with the podcast are under 40 years old. And so you're talking about lots and lots of people that are taking this and streaming it, listen to it. Um, and so I think if there's a way for the church to cross boundaries and speak about spirituality in a way that people listen, this modern technology is it. So that's why we're set up in front of you, but we have the cameras and the microphones that we're using the way we're using so that we can you know, have something that we can push out that people can use in a different way. So I know it's very non-traditional as you're looking at it, but I think it's going to be helpful. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's resonated with us, and I think a lot of people, is when you think about 
Christianity in the church over the past like 30 years I've been a pastor. We, we Christians in America have equated spiritual maturity with biblical knowledge. Right. 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 So how much we learn about the Bible in our head and this academic intellectual exercise Mm -hmm. that that is like your spiritual maturity. So the more Bible studies you go to, the more spiritually mature you are. And so I I make the running joke a lot. It's like some of y'all are in way too many Bible studies and I don't mean Bible studies are bad. I just mean that sometimes we focus too much on the head and not the actual way of living the Mm -hmm. faith in life. Right. And it showed up over the past two years when the pressure really got on, the flames were turned up, and Christians in America and churches in America did not perform well, who did not behave well. Do you agree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you were to Google uh, Christians are, it's really interesting what comes up. Christians are, and the word judgmental, um, mm-hmm. a closed-minded, those kinds of things. So there's a sense in which... Um, what our faith says we are to bear witness of, we actually ended up bear witnessing us the opposite in some ways, right? Um, and uh, collectively, and not not maybe not everyone, but there, there definitely was. I think those folks that are under forty that are leaving or left church have just said, "I tried that, and that's not my tribe." Yeah, and I think what churches are going to do is they're going to take you know one of two routes might be an oversimplification, but they're going to double down on this mm. sort of anesthetizing. How do you say that word? Anesthetizing sort of you know it kind of just these things are going on out there, but we're just going to be rah rah. We're going to be stadium seating. We're going to be whatever, or we're going to align ourselves activistly or politically with a certain group, yeah. one side or the other. And one of the things that we want to do at Chapwood, and I think any good church should do, and I think anyone who really focuses on their spirituality mm-hmm. wants to be a part of a church or a religious organization that's really struggling with that, that's a kind of a countercultural narrative. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so when we look at religion, and, and this happens in most religion, you have what's called an example and a path and a community. And in the church, for, for Christians, the example is Jesus. Jesus. That's the answer to every question. If you're ever in doubt Always. in church and there's a question, you just go, Jesus? Jesus? And it's like, Jesus is the right answer. So the example is Jesus. Uh, the path is discipleship. But again, discipleship is not just like going to school and filling your head with knowledge. It's like, what do you do with the knowledge that you have? What difference does it make in your life? Mm-hmm. And then the community for us and our faith is the church. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very important. We weren't created. You say this all the time. We weren't created to be live, live alone and be isolated. Yeah. Yeah. Christianity is not like a lone ranger. It's a we deal. It's not a me deal. You know? Exactly. So the community is important. And I, one of the things I find, especially with young people, they're looking for community. Mm-hmm. If they feel as if they belong to a community, um, yeah. it's one of the things the little coffee shops get so big and young people go to their coffee shop because it becomes a little community. It's like the old Cheers um, show. You know, you go to a place where everybody knows your name and knows your order. And so if we think about this over the next four weeks, we think of the example of Jesus for us. And we want to look at that in two different ways. Uh, one is, is about identity. Mm-hmm. And it's a baptism and it's temptation. Mm-hmm. And what can we learn from that? What can we learn from that about Jesus? How do we uh, apply those things in our own life? How can we put them into practice? That's what you're going to hear a lot this this whole going forward mm-hmm. because discipleship has to be practical. Can I just say something about yeah. that? You and I have talked about this before, but I, I love the example of the church ought to be a, a dojo, um, and a dojo is where you they teach karate. It's in a sense that if when you walk into a, a dojo, there's not pews or, um, or, or um, chairs. There's a place where you're going to practice moves that you need to use in everyday life, right? And so to think about the church not being a place where we just learn information to place in our heads, but it's a place of practice. It's a place where we put in, we begin to learn practices that we need for living in everyday life. Yeah. And I love that. that that's where the church needs to be. Church needs to be more of a dojo than a classroom. Mm-hmm. And so that's what the changes that you're going to see churches have to really struggle with and figure out how to make. So I think about this, um, this first week, thinking about the baptism. So baptism of Jesus. Mm-hmm. 
baptism is really these, these four things. I want to talk about them real quick as we go through this. The first one is initiation. Mm-hmm. A second one is incorporation. A third one is ordination. You like how they got the ushins, the, the <laughs> rhyming, the, the, the cadence. And the fourth one is affirmation, affirmation of your identity. So we're going to talk about each one of these a little bit and, um, and, and really want to just think how it challenges us uh, in our thinking about what it means to be a person of faith and live a spiritual life as a follower of mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so we start with this, you know, the, the passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 3 is that all these people were gathered around with expectation and all of them were questioning in their hearts about this guy named John, whether he might be the Messiah. Remember John the Baptist. And John said, I baptize you with water, but there's one more powerful than I that is coming and I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his granary and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then it says, now when all of the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven opened up and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven and said you are my son the beloved with you I am well pleased so when I begin when we begin to wrestle with this understanding of thinking of baptism is an initiation into the ways of Jesus and into the ways of the kingdom of God Part of what baptism, that's for all Christians, we're baptized. And we just think of it sometimes in so many different ways. But it means that we are turning from other ways to living and follow the way. And initiation is, I think of it as as crossing a threshold, all right? So initiation is the beginning of something, not the ending of something. So think about when you enter a, a room or you came into the church tonight or you go into your house. You're crossing over a threshold. You're entering into something new. And when you do, there's certain things that are expected, practices that may be different than when you before you came into the threshold. The same thing is true whenever you enter into a new life. You're renouncing cultural, social, political, material forces that put on pull us. And we are turning from those pulls in order to turn toward Jesus, toward God, toward the kingdom of God. And this is where we sort of really connect to real life, Mm -hmm. like the stuff in front of us that we see and struggle with on a daily basis. Because if we are followers of Jesus, and if we're going to orient ourselves around the kingdom of God, that means we have to recalibrate everything in our life, our orbit, right? The reorientation of our lives. What is the center of your life? So I don't care if you're Christian or not Christian. If you're someone that's just kind of trying to figure out spirituality, Mm -hmm. all of us understand that you have a center of life Mm -hmm. and everything else is going to orbit around that center. That's right. And just because we're Christian doesn't mean that that center is always God, even though we may say that it is. That's right. Psychologists call that an organizing principle. So there's certain things, voices, um, uh, values that get stuck inside of us, and we organize our life around those things. It could be experiences that we've had as a kid that uh, caused us shame or fear or something. We say, I'm never going to feel that again. I don't want to experience that again. And we build a lot of defenses up so that we manage uh, whatever that, that wound is. And what, what, what I think, Baptist, what you're saying, I think, John, at least in the way I'm hearing it, is that the threshold is of baptism says that this relationship with Christ, um, this, 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 this third person, the Holy Spirit that, that is animating uh, Christ in us is uh, displacing all other organizing principles in our lives and wants to be that which our, our life gets organized around um, mm. and, and our life gets ultimately liberated through. Yeah, so you no longer, you no longer orbit around the self. You know, we are the center of our universe and everyone orbits around us or around me. But when you reorganize, reorient around God, this is initiation into a new way of being. You no longer orbit around politics. You no longer orbit around a political party or a political system or even a political candidate. 
You no longer orbit around cultural definitions of success. You don't orbit your life anymore around notions of wealth or material well-being. You no longer orbit around old ideas of what it means to be happy. And you no longer orbit around what the world's values and concerns are. Hmm. And this is really, 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 really important. And let me just say that the early church had a big problem with the baptism of Jesus. They struggled with trying to explain it because John had a baptism of repentance. Now, I don't know what you think about when you think about repentance, but did you, you grew up in the kind of church where, dude, I repented. I I gave my life to Jesus about every other week, you know? (laughs) When I was, was there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I know mean, if it stuck, so I just wanted to come back. I, I grew up in, in a case. no, I grew up in a Methodist church, but it was kind of like that borderline Methodist, yeah, yeah, right? right? And there right. was that whole thing yeah. where, like, man, you'd be really bad all week, but when you came to church, you repented, yeah. and then you were good, right? Yeah. Your insurance was paid up, and you were ready to yeah. go. But so when they were looking at the church, it's like, well, how do we explain this? Jesus being baptized, he didn't really need to be baptized, did he? I mean, he didn't need to repent of any sin per se, and that. That's because we think of repentance in the way you and I grew up about it. And that's not what repentance is. And that's not what the, the word in the, in the Bible means. It's a word called metanoia. What it means is literally following a different way than the world around us by making a turn, expanding the way you think, expanding the way you see. So it is like I've engaged in the wrong behavior. I need to turn, right? But we always thought of repentance as like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But but it's much fuller than that. So think about this. Jesus is baptized out of his own humility and self-surrender. He's setting a pattern, all right, of turning from all of the orders of all of the things that we orbit around. He's modeling this. He's saying that I'm going to be initiated into this. I'm going to model it for you in this baptism. Jesus is saying, I belong to another. Hmm. I belong to the one. I belong to another community. I set myself to follow and turn to a different path, not the, the politics of my day, not the religious authorities of my day, not the social activism, even though it may be for good causes right. of my day. Right. No, the baptism is an orientation. Do you see? It's, it's a change of mind for Jesus that begins his ministry. I think that's pretty significant. Mm-hmm. And the second thing yeah. is to move beyond the way you currently think, the way you currently see life, to take on a new mind. And so when you say, well, Jesus always knew he was... Jesus, right? Well, I mean, yeah, but think about it. His public ministry that's recorded in the gospels those three years doesn't really start until that baptism. I mean, you get the infancy narratives, you know, the Christmas and the one little moment in the synagogue where he always (laughs) preaches or he gets lost. But this is really where it starts. This is where the initiation into this new way of seeing, I think that's really important for us to think about that the changing of our minds. Now, the one other thing that we talked about um, this morning, and I think it's fascinating on initiation before we move into incorporation, has to do with changing our minds, metanoia, Mm. right, to enlarge our minds, to escape the ruts or these neural pathways that you have dug into your brain. And what I mean by that is this, Jeff loves science. He loves the science stuff. Here's some science for you, Jeff. You ready? (laughs) The human brain is composed of thousands of neurons. You know way more about this than I do. I don't know. Didn't you do a PhD on this stuff? A little. All right. So I'm going to let you... I'm, I'm going to let you talk about it after I explain okay, it. Thank you. <laughs> There's these thousands of neurons connected by all these things. So when you develop a new habit, your neural pathways are connecting in certain ways that create a pathway. Think of a road. When you do something for the first time, it's just like a field. There's no road. The more you do it, now you're actually laying pavement, right? And the more you repeat it, now you have ruts in the road where the the wagon wheels, right? Or the wheels. It's like when you're driving on the interstate. I always like to drive in the left lane 
because the right rain has the ruts in it, right? And when it rains, the water kind of gets standing. You know what I'm talking about, especially if you've ever been I-10 in Florida. It's like there's two <laughs> big ruts. You want to go hydroplane and you ride in the right lane when it's <laughs> raining on I-10. And, and these are the things that happen. They become habits mm-hmm. and we repeat them and we operate out of these things by kind of not even recognizing their old judgments, old mental scripts uh, that we just respond to, yeah. right? Yeah. And But it is possible, it is possible to change the pathways. Absolutely. This is metanoia. Yes. Right? Yeah. But it takes commitment to, to something that's greater than those assumptions and those judgments and those mental scripts and those loyalties and those ideologies. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it takes pain. You know, sometimes it's, it's pain that wakes us up. It's saying, I, I don't, I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't like the outcome of this anymore. How do I change? It's, it's Paul's dictum in Romans. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? You, you look at yourself in the mirror and you realize I could just kind of fall on the ball and run the clock out and not change. Hmm. But the Holy Spirit says you were made for more than that. And so the metanoia is having to face life on life's terms, the reality as it is, and then the possibility um, that, uh, that God can do something new. Um, and it's leaning into that possibility, which feels really odd. Yeah. It's a new way of thinking. So one of the like a modern analogy of this is I think about, maybe you're not someone who watches cable news, but when we watch cable news, if you have the preferred channel of choice, what you're doing is you're receiving information that has been filtered, right, by a certain view or a worldview or an ideology. You are creating and crafting ruts and pathways in your mind. Mm. So what happens when you confront someone who maybe sees things differently? I mean, think about the division in our country even right now. And so each one of these cable news, and they're all guilty of this, they all have an agenda. They all have uh, some political ideology. They all have something. I can tell you tonight, if I were to read the headlines, I've done this many times because I don't listen to a lot of cable news, but I try to be an equal opportunity offender. I'll watch a little bit of all of them, right, just to kind of see. But I play this game, maybe you should try this sometime, is I'll kind of just read what are the headlines, and I'll think, okay, we're going to turn it to this news channel. And I'll tell Stephanie, I'll go, I got 20 bucks that they're talking about <laughs> this, this, or this. And we'll turn it on there. And sure enough, I mean, the, the easiest example was a, like a month or two ago. It was like Omicron was starting to come back up. And I said, all right, I'm going to turn it to MSNBC. I said, I, I guarantee you they're talking about COVID. I turned in and said, COVID. I was like, Wah! COVID. <laughs> and then I said, all right. She said, what about CNN? I said, I think it's COVID. I'm going to go with COVID or, um, you know, the Senate. They turn it on. It's COVID. I'm like two for two. <laughs> and then she said, all right, big boy. She goes, what's Fox talking about? Oh, they're talking about crime. <laughs> they're talking about crime or the border or something. But they're not talking about COVID. Sure, if we talk, we watch about 10 minutes. There is nothing to talk about. So, and again, I'm not making any judgment about any of them except for the fact that I, I know as an objective observer, I kind of know what, they're, the, what the ruts are, what the pathways are. Yeah. And so for all yeah. of us, I'm thinking, if we're going to live in a world where we're going to be uh, have all these competing um, you know, powers at work in our world, if those are the ones that are going to drive us as people of right. faith, man, we're always going to be divided. Right. Absolutely. And, and, and it seems like that the, the call of the gospel is to notice the ways that our minds have been shaped and formed and that the kingdom always offers an alternative way of seeing. Um, and so it's, it's in some ways then the spiritual practices that you've been talking about allow us then to begin to see what we cannot see to become what we could not become on our own. Does that make sense? And so the pathway of discipleship really is seeing, noticing what we can't see. People, um, maybe our own darkness, maybe other people's darkness with deeper empathy, whatever that is. Seeing what we cannot see on our own to become what we cannot become on our own. 
Yeah. I think the initiation part is huge (laughs) because if you don't start as a baptized Christian, as someone who's on this journey and wants to fall in this way, if you can't cross that threshold and begin to change the things that are in the center around which all of the things orbit, then you're never going to get out of those ruts. And so if the example for us, and we can talk about the example, the path, the, the community, the example for us is Jesus. Look at who Jesus aligned himself with. Right. Right? He had a radical way of being and living in this world called the kingdom of God. That was what he aligned his way of thinking with was the kingdom of God. He talked about it all the time. And so he resisted the power and the empire of Rome which was available to him. He resisted the power and the empire of Herod, the Herodian Mm -hmm. uh, designated puppet king, any other earthly government that he never cozied up with them, right? And the empire of wealth and power. I mean, think of how much, you know, we think about people who have means can, can move the needle can make change. Yeah. Jesus says, no, it's not, that's not huh. what we're going to do. I'm not going to align myself with that. Even social influence or empires, philosophies, psychologies, Jesus didn't do that. There was a different way. And so I would say for us, baptism is an embodied reminder that the gospel is an invitation to a way of living and being in the world. It's not an idea that you give yourself to assent to. It's a way of living and being in the world. And so practically, I think, okay, we think about initiation. That's the beginning of your day. That's when your day begins. And there's a lot of of, um, different contemplative practice or whatever, but I like to begin the day every day to say, okay, um, God, I I got a lot of choices in front of me today. I'm gonna be confronted with a lot of choices. But here at the beginning of the day, before I do anything, I want to make a commitment and I want to put in practice that you and your, you will be the, your, you and your kingdom will be the center mm. of my life mm. in my words and my deeds and my actions. Mm-hmm. I think that is a practical thing you put into practice that you consciously think about as you get up and you get ready for the day and you move out into the world. That's initiation. Yeah. crossing the threshold. Mm-hmm. In this sense, it's kind of crossing the threshold to go out into the world. That's right. Instead of coming into a house. No, that, that's the interesting thing about baptism and, and the way that you're talking about it. And that in the culture I grew up in, the church, it was really kind of this thing that pulled me out of the world, right? And then stuck me in church. And that's, that's where God wanted to keep me safe. But when I look at the life of Jesus, the baptismal waters that he was plunged into seemed to be more of Genesis 1 stuff, the primordial chaos, the chaos of the world. He's baptized into the world to redeem the world, right? And, and so it, in a sense, uh, the waters that he goes down into of darkness are an invitation to explore our own darkness that God might redeem and also the chaos of the world that the, um, that God might redeem the chaos of the world through us. And so our baptism is a baptism not to pull us out of the world, but to bear witness to the God that redeems the world. Hmm. I love that. And so if you think of baptism as initiation or you think about how we're initiating in our spiritual life, that's the beginning of the day. I think about the end of the day, I think about this second aspect is that baptism is a means, is a means of in, being incorporated into a way of life that reflects the life of Jesus. Now, let me give you an illustration of this. So my daughter, Maddie, is a great baker. I don't know where she got it. It wasn't from me and it wasn't from Stephanie. She's a great baker. She's studied it. She's an, now she can't like fry an egg, but man, she can make the best cookies you've ever eaten in your life. I beg her, I was like, please make cookies. Her boyfriend was in town last week. I said, you can make cookies for him, right? Cause if you make cookies for him, this it's thing over. is over. It's, I mean, if you done. want it to be, I don't know. But what she does is she prepares and puts everything out and she has the, the dry and you all know this better than I do. And she has the way that she incorporates the mix. And I said, why don't you just dump it all in that little blender thing, you know, and mix it all up. She said, no, it doesn't work that way. Because whenever I try to make it, I just put it all in in whatever order it comes in. And I got, you know, that it doesn't work out well. But the way she does it, she's incorporating things in in the proper mm-hmm. manner. And by doing that, mm-hmm. it, it, it works together in a synergy yeah. 
that makes the most delicious chocolate chip cookie <laughs> that you, you will ever eat in your life. So what does this have to do with baptism? Cookies and baptism? Incorporation. Okay. Like, and I'm thinking how, you know, when, when you talk about you incorporate the whatever into the whatever, and it starts out as two separate things, but it becomes now this batter that is this one new thing together. That's what incorporate in, of course, you know what in in Latin, it just means, you know, together in corporeal or corpus is the body. Hmm. To be oh, one, to be worked into the body, to be embodied. We use that a lot yeah. uh, when we talk about. Um, so we're, we're being incorporated into Jesus. Jesus is being incorporated into us. And th- this is what I love. In Romans 12, 1, Paul writes, mm-hmm. but there's a great translation called The Message. If you've never heard of it, I would encourage you to check it out by a guy named Eugene Peterson, who does a translation from the original Greek. And this is what it says. So here's what I want you to do. It's very contemporary language. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, your walking around life. I like that line. Mm-hmm. You're walking around life, place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do mm-hmm. for him. Mm-hmm. So this sense of like, Embracing what God does for you is the best way that you can embrace uh, or what you can do for God. Mm-hmm. So we talk about, well, what does it mean to be a Christian? Should I be arguing points? Should I be trying to manipulate things and do this for greater and grander purposes? And this is why I say when you incorporate, um, when you embody grace, then what happens is the way you talk about a disagreement is actually more important than where you end up on the disagreement. Hmm. Now, that doesn't make any sense um, to the world we live in. We just argue, 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 we're gonna win. I mean, if you've been on Facebook, man, I got the perfect article, I'm gonna throw it in there, and I'm gonna show them all how dumb they are, and how smart I am, and then you realize, you know, they slam that, and they slam that, and they slam that, whether it's about vaccines, or masks, or this, or that. You know, it's like, where is truth anymore? You can't find truth anymore. And so, I think to myself, well then, how do we exist in this world where truth is just hard to get to. Mm. Maybe not for us. It's about this incorporation, this embodiment. Mm. You know, I mean, I think about um, Jesus telling these stories that, hey, you know, if the soldier comes and says, hey, carry my pack for a mile, which you were required to do in that day. Jesus said, don't just carry it for a mile, carry it for two miles. Mm. To carry it for double what you're required to do. Mm. And if they say, if they ask for the coat, you know, off your back, don't just give them one coat, give them two coats, you know, and give them your shoes. You know, if they hit you in the cheek, um, turn, you know, you're you're supposed to not retaliate, but not only are you not supposed to retaliate, he says, turn and let them hit the other cheek. Now that doesn't make any sense in the world we live in. Mm. I don't hear that from anyone. It doesn't matter what side you are on because it is totally different. Um, how do you do that? How's it possible? Paul writes in Philippians 2, let the same mind be in you that was in Jesus. And though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself. Mm. And taking the form of a slave, he was born in human likeness and he humbled himself and he became obedient even to the point of death. I don't get the sense that Christians in our country, now I, I keep saying that like, but I do think generally speaking, American Christians have not represented ourselves well, but it doesn't mean that there are not some great Christians who are Absolutely. following Jesus. But when you read this language of emptying ourselves, um, this is a really different narrative mm-hmm. um, yeah. that you hear. It seems like that, that the summonsing is to go on this pathway of descent because when I, when I became a Christian, it really was left to right and up. You know, every day with Jesus is better than the day before kind of thing. But it seems that the summonsing of the Spirit <clears throat> is a downward descent into this place where ultimately I realize that I, I must surrender everything that I have. That, that I, I let go of everything that I have so that I can receive everything that I need and want. 
right? And my ego says, I can make this go and I can make it happen on my own. And it's not until the downward descent that we realize, number one, we're not in control of near as much as we think we are. And number two, um, we do need a power greater than us that would reflect back and give us what we cannot. Um, and I think that's the, the invitation. That's what baptism, um, I think, in the ultimately kind of bears witness to and, and summons in a lot. There was a book I read not long ago, and I cannot remember the name of it, but he talked about how we have chosen uh, effectiveness over excellence. Mm. Mm. And so that's why Christians in America, we've really aligned ourselves with power, po- political power particularly. Because that's how we get, and, and it doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat, there's Christians on both sides, but they have different ways of seeing what that Christianity needs to accomplish in the world. And so rather than embody it and incorporate it and work it, they really believe, I think a lot of American Christians believe that the way to get my understanding of my Christianity into a reality is to cozy up to power and become effective. Mm. And anytime you do that, you're gonna lose that excellence. And what I mean excellence is that the way of Christ. Mm. Um, you know, Second Corinthians 8, it says, you are familiar with the generosity of our master Jesus Christ. Mm. Rich as he was, he gave it all away. Rich as he was, he gave it all away. In one stroke, he became poor and we became rich. Mm. Um, that's the thing I think that, that I lament, not so much the political intrigue and narrative and people are afraid this might happen or that might happen. I'm more concerned that I see Christianity putting too much trust uh, in politics, in mm-hmm. power, secular power, yeah. to try to accomplish the work and the mission and the ministry of Jesus. Yeah. And, and I think Jesus is just sitting on the sideline going, this is not the way I taught you to do it. Yeah, because God's love is God's power. That's the only power God has is love. And so I think that's what we haven't been taught enough as Christians, that the way that the world operates in kind of that that authoritarian or seductive power is not from God. Yeah, God will always be found among um, the uncredentialed and the places where you least expect God. God's love is there. And I think that that's the incorpor- I think the process of, of that incorporation that you're talking about is the way of love. The struggle with that is when people hear you talk like that, and I've had people tell me this, they're like, you don't care what goes on in our country. You don't care about this issue, this issue, this issue, this issue. And I'm like, no, I mean, I care. I care about those things. But what, I, what I'm saying to you is, is I don't agree with you that the way to approach those issues that you care so much about is about one particular person being elected to a certain office hmm. at, at the expense of everything else, yeah. right? And, and that's where I think um, yeah. we, we're, we're, just, we're always going to be counter to the world. We're always going to be aliens in this land. Yeah. And uh, you can date this back historically to the fourth century. As soon as Christianity became the religion of the empire and Constantine officially recognized Christianity as the as the religion of the empire, look at how Christians started behaving badly whenever they cozied up to that power Mm. and how other people began to be hurt. I mean, the Mm. Crusades alone, you know, is not the the most gleaming uh, part of of where we we claimed our faith, you know, as we killed people for dirt. Um, you know, and I love the Holy Land as much as the first person, but guess what? For all that stuff they did, there's still every religion in the world living in that one little city (laughs) and they're still fighting, right? So it's like, that's not the answer. The power is not the answer. There's a different way of thinking about doing this. And that's what I think we have to be challenged by. And I think when you're talking about, so initiation is the beginning of your day. Incorporation to me is the end of your day. And it's done with a spiritual practice called the examine. And the examine is a very simple thing where you just go back and you kind of re, you go through your day, just real quickly, all of the major interactions with people, maybe decisions you made, things you did. And you just ask yourself, where did I allow my life to orbit around God and act and live and work in a way that was pleasing to God, that really embodied and was incorporated into the life and the ministry of Jesus aligned with Jesus. That's good. 
And then where were the times and the places and the interactions, because we have them every day, where I did not do that, mm. where I failed. And then what do I need to do? How do I need to now be more intentional about this going mm. forward? Mm. That's the only way you change those pathways is, is commitment and practice and consistency. Yeah. You know, you'd, I mean, yeah. you, you know a lot about recovery. I mean, you don't, you don't just wake up going, okay, I'm gonna stop. I mean, <laughs> people do, I've heard of this cold turkey stuff, but there's still like the vast majority of people, they need support, they need practice, Absolutely. they need accountability, they need, you know, you need someone in your life that's gonna help you walk that journey. Yeah, that's right. I, because a lot of times, my spiritual director says this all the time, that where our attention goes, our energy flows. And that if my mind has, uh, has been on, um, on wanting to not feel pain in a certain area, you know, stay, or whatever, then all of my attention and my energy goes to protect me from that. Um, and so what, what metanoia, baptism, all those kinds of things we're talking about tonight, it's this, um, it's this alternative way that um, allows us to begin to notice this God-saturated world we live in. That if the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all flesh, then um, we live in a world where God wants us to begin to notice what God's doing day in and day out. And as we begin to notice that, our energy begins to shift. And I think that's part of that, that metanoia that you're speaking yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. So beginning of the day, the initiation, I think there's spiritual like ways of mm -hmm. end of the day incorporation. This third point, and the last two are a little bit shorter, so we're gonna move a little quicker. Baptism is ordination. I had, had a member of the church just this afternoon, he's a lawyer, and he sent me a picture of his ordination certificate from the Universal Life Church that I think he got for $25 in the mail. He must be officiating a wedding. He says, do you feel the competition yet? And I said, <laughs> no, dude, I'm, I'm okay. I said, uh, I thought that would be all right. But it made me think, he goes, I, I, said, I said, well, if the, if the law practice stuff doesn't work out, I said, you can come on staff at chapel. He goes, I kind of think of my law practice as my ministry. And I said, mm. well, I do too. You are more ordained than you even realize. You got this little yeah. certificate and you're theologically grounded. That's what ordination is. We think of ordination as like, uh, like Matt and I are, you know, were ordained in the United Methodist Church, but the early church understood that when you were baptized and you came yeah. up out of the water, yeah. you were baptized into ministry. Yeah. And that's why I think we ought to have signs here, the front sign ought to say, Chapelwood United Methodist Church, John Stevens, pastor, all members, ministers. Because that's actually more accurate in understanding. And your ministry, Jesus in that moment, that was an ordination for him. That's when his public ministry begins, right? It's to be ordained. But your ministry is in your home. Is it the food pantry, homeless shelter? Uh, in the schools that your kids go to, whether you pick them up, in the offices where you work, wherever you study or teach, the ball fields, yes, the ball fields, the ball fields, the ball fields. Man, I wish we had a lot more young parents in here. The ball fields, where we are ordained to be in ministry, uh, where you coach and play, the gyms where you work out, the coffee shops, the restaurants, the neighborhood. Man, if we could see, if Christians could see life in that way, that I'm a minister. It's one thing I think the beautiful thing about Protestant Reformation mm. is the Protestant Reformation really changed Christianity's understanding of what was called the priesthood of all believers. Mm. Yeah. Where before that, for the first 1500 years in the Orthodox and Roman Catholic Church, the priesthood was only for those who were the, the priests, right? The clergy. And the Protestant Reformation said, no, everyone is a priest. Everyone is a minister. And I think that's actually a much better uh, understanding of the scripture when you get to the la original language and everything else. And so baptism gives us a sense of ministry. As a Christian, we're all ministers that we would not have otherwise. We've received God's spirit. Now that's going to lead us into places and do things that we would not have done otherwise. Yeah. I love that because in a sense what it's saying to each of us here is that as a church at Chapelwood, we're only as strong, as authentic, as deep um, as you are. <laughs> like God's called you to a particular thing in this world. And um, in a sense, we need you fully alive in that thing. 
We need you set free to your deepest passions and where the world's deepest needs uh, connect. And that's to be in ministry, to bear witness to this God in the world is to, um, is to recognize yourself in that space. Yeah, I was telling a story, it may show up on Sunday. I told this morning about Will Willimon. We had him on the podcast, uh, former bishop and the dean of Duke Chapel. And he talked about how this guy called him. He was mad, so mad. He's like, what have you done to my daughter? You ruined her, you messed her up. And he's like, what are you talking about? So she had great <laughs> grades. She was gonna be a third generation doctor. And now she's talking all this stuff about going to Haiti for three years and teaching kids. This was years ago. And he's like, well, what are you talking about? He goes, I can't believe you took advantage of her. I said, don't act like you don't know. I mean, this is just crazy. You're taking advantage of her in an impressionable age. And Willamont finally got a little work up and he said let's wait a minute let me ask you a question did you have her baptized when she was young yes did you send her to sunday school in the church yes send her to sunday school in church but 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 he goes and did you you know have her grow up in the church and learn the ways of the church he said yeah and he goes yeah well of course we did then we were presbyterians we didn't intend for that to do damage in her life (laughs) and willimon basically said well there you go she if you think she's messed up she was messed up way before she got here he said, if you got a problem, you don't need to call me. You need to call your wife. You need to call your Sunday school teacher, third grade Sunday school teacher. You need to call the pastor and you need to call the church where your kid grew up. Because guess what? Guess what? He goes, that's what the wild nature of God does. You're the ones that got her into this when she was baptized. And he said, thank you very much. Have a nice day. <laughs> There's this uh, thing about immersing ourselves and our children in this wild and unpredictable spirit of God who may have plans for us that may never have entered into our imagination. Oh, that's good. Now, I never that's thought good. in a million years that I'd be pastoring a church through, you know, a citywide devastating flood or, you know, denominational upheaval or oil price crashes too now or... A global yeah. pandemic. Or a global, I mean, I was going to, I was saving the best for last. And yet, um, you know, it's like we don't pick those things and you don't pick those things, but we are called and set apart all of us for that. The spirit will lead us to places and experiences and services that we can never fully foresee in our lives. Mm, mm. And that's what it means to be ordained, set apart. And then lastly, this one is my favorite uh the others, are, I think, are really important in the ways that we live our lives as Christians in the world. But affirmation, baptism is the affirmation of your true identity. Yeah. The baptism is name, names you. When we do baptism with infants and say, what name is given this child? And the parent says, you know, Madison Claire Stevens, right? And they name that out. And in that moment, the same thing is happening when Jesus came out of the water and the spirit came down and the voice from heaven said, this is my son, my beloved Mm. in whom I'm well pleased. And I think in our baptism and in our faith, spiritually speaking, God is saying that to every one of us, you are my son, you are my daughter, you are my child, you are my beloved and in you I am well pleased. And the difficulty is there are so many counter narratives and lies that we're told all of our lives Absolutely. about who we are, yeah. defined by other people, defined yeah. by other powers, defined by yeah. other things. Sometimes we do it within our own brokenness too, in our insufficiencies and insecurities. Yeah. But um, th- this is to me the most powerful thing, and I think one of the biggest things we struggle with is this challenge throughout our lives um, to recognize that that name matters. Uh, it's important to be named. You know, there's a story about the architect of the Vietnam Memorial. I don't know if you know what it looks like, but it's a just black marble wall, right? With just untold numbers of names in it. That's it. There's no statues. There's no anything else. It's just a wall with names. And they asked the woman, I think her name was Maya Lin, the designer of the of the... Vietnam Memorial. And they said, so remarkable when people come to this, it has such a strong grip. People are so emotional, even people that don't know these people. I mean, you can just tell. He says, what what is it that creates this pathos, this emotion? And she said, it's the names. She said, the names are the memorial. 
It's the names. There's no edifice or structure that can bring people to mind as powerfully as their name. Mm. Mm. And so whatever the world may tell you about you, right? And, and we, we believe those false narratives. I've done that, mm-hmm. um, you know, throughout my life. And sometimes I still do, yeah. even over the past year or two. Yeah. As difficult as it's been, you begin to hear people say things about you you know, the kind of person that you are. And I (laughs) I remember somebody said, you know, said something to me, well, you're just a raging liberal. And then a couple of days later, I had somebody, well, you're just a raging conservative. I'm like, I'm doing something wrong. (laughs) I I don't know what's going on here. And I just had to laugh and say, you don't know me. First off, neither one of those labels um, will identify me. Uh, the labels are, and the, plus the labels are defined by what everyone defined by. But I mean, I'm looking at that going, man, there, there are some positions I have in my life that you would uh, think are wildly conservative and some you would think were wildly liberal. But I would say to you that if you looked at the life of Jesus, there are some things that he taught and lifted up that would be wildly conservative and some things that would be wildly mm-hmm. liberal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so if we don't have a sense in our spiritual life about the very nature of our DNA, the personhood, the foundational, we just too easy to forget who we are. And we gotta be reminded of that. Mm -hmm. That's why I think we do a better job of helping to remember our baptism. Yeah, yeah. I I, I wonder, you said this this morning, it struck me, like, what if that got down in your bones? What if you heard tonight, you are my beloved child? And that, that, um, that got past your 3 a.m. self that wakes you up and says, it's all going to hell. You know, that got past your fear that it's not going to work out. That got past whatever voice got stuck inside of you that shaped you towards shame or towards depression or whatever. What if there was an alternative voice that says, oh, you, you are my beloved child. I'm very pleased with you. If that got inside of you, what... What voices would that displace and what might that create? And that's the hope of baptism. That's the promise of baptism. Uh, and that's the promise of what we're attempting to bear witness to, I think, at, at Chapelwood. Yeah. And so for us as Christians, baptism is a word we use for initiation, incorporation, ordination, affirmation of our identity. And for wherever anyone else is, I mean, those, those elements of what baptism symbolizes are going to ring true if someone's really seeking yeah. something yeah. deeper in their spiritual life. It's going to resonate. Yeah. It's definitely going to resonate. Yeah. And so I think we start with the example. We start with this baptism of Jesus and we take on what do we learn from this? What does it mean for us? What does it tell us about Jesus? But what does it tell us about us? And then we take these things and we begin to integrate them into our lives. We fold them in just like to the batter of our being. We incorporate that in at the beginning of the day, at the end of the day. And you know what? Here's the last thing I'll tell you. When you go out into the world, don't be afraid to use that same line. When you're with someone that you know you love or they're struggling or whatever it is, just look at them and say, Matt Russell, you are a son of God, beloved. And he is well pleased in you. John, you're a son of God. God is very pleased with you. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Well, I'm John Stevens. And I'm Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy. Wow. This is when the music goes. 